Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every Friday at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm so excited to be back. My name's Tim McDougall and I've filled in for Trevor for a few times and I just absolutely love it. Inspired to hear what's happening across the country um, to do with your garden. So I'll be your host today and Trevor has disappeared to Exmouth, WA's beautiful north, working very hard, but not that I'm very jealous at all, beautiful part of the country. As is everyone else living in a fantastic part, we are inspired to send you and share with you some awesome gardening information this morning. And if you've got lots of questions, don't forget to leave your questions in the comment section and include your suburb and state because we've got five packets of Mr. Fothergill's, Mr. Fothergill's seeds to give away this morning. And all these varieties are fantastic, hardy, grow most areas of Australia and love the warm weather, which I know some of our areas in Australia are definitely having some warm weather. It's one of those times of the year where um, some areas are cool and enjoying the cool weather, others are hot. So leave some comments, tell us what's happening in your area and what's looking absolutely fantastic. Lots and lots of things happening. But one question we would like to ask and maybe uh, get your comments on, are you doing enough to make your suburb greener? We'll speak to Professor Joe Hurley on our country's challenges in growing and maintaining green cover for the future. So if you've got lots of trees, you've got a favourite tree, send us a comment. We would love to hear it. And if you have been, if you've missed this news, Christmas is certainly just around the corner. So it's only a few days to Christmas, well, a few weeks, I should say, and Garden Express have an awesome offer, fantastic offer you don't want to miss. I'm going to get my hands up for this one as well. And also Evergreen Garden Care will share with you what best fertilisers to use in your garden at this time of the year. The risk is overfeeding. We'll talk to Greg who's been involved in fertilisers and the fertiliser industry for so many years and will be able to tell us what we can do to keep our plants looking absolutely amazing at this time of the year. Can we overdo it? We'll ask Greg that because sometimes we do sometimes think more is better, but Greg will be able to tell us that for sure. Welcome to our new listeners, our new gardeners. This is all about you, sharing information for you in the garden and hope you get a lot from it as well. So to kick it off, we've got quite a few gardening questions. Should we start? Yeah, let's go, let's start. We've got a question from Cherie from Bunyip in Victoria. Do you have bees to pollinate tomato plants. Do you have to have bees to pollinate tomato plants? You actually should have insects. Tomatoes are pollinated by very vigorous pollination. So if there's a wasp or a, or a bee, that definitely helps. So if you've also got a closed in area, you need to have it open so the insects can pollinate. Sometimes tomatoes won't pollinate or won't set fruit. And I know people who hand pollinate their tomatoes in indoor areas when they're growing tomatoes in glasshouse environments. So yes, if you can have insects to pollinate your your uh, tomatoes and also your other veggies, makes a huge difference. Definitely, tomatoes, time of the year, plant them. 
You've got to get a few tomatoes. Every household needs a couple of tomato plants and they can grow very successfully in pots or in the ground. And to kick us off when we're talking lime trees, Melissa, you've sent some photos in. My lemon and lime trees. Here we are, some photos of Melissa's tree. That might help. Um, lemon and lime trees have flowered recently and the flowers have dropped off to show the beginnings of fruit. This morning, notice that nearly all the baby fruit has fallen off. When you touch them, they just drop off. So disappointing. Have you had that problem happen in your backyard? I oh, know I have, it's really disappointing. This is supposed to be the first year they've actually set fruit or they've grown fruit. This can be a number of things, Melissa, and you find that this can happen if it's been stressful, if you've had extremely hot weather and the plant hasn't had enough water. I notice there's a few yellow leaves on the edges of the trees, so obviously the conditions aren't exactly right. Sometimes citrus will set thousands of fruit and you will get a few fruit fall off. Sometimes you'll get up to half the fruit fall off. If everything is going really well, there's water, the conditions are right, you've got wetting agent on the soil and the tree is growing prolifically, I can see a few little new growth, uh, new leaves appearing from there, Melissa, so that's a great start. But the indicator that we need some more nutrients is the yellow leaves on the edges of, the, of those older leaves. So a complete citrus fertiliser around the root system, so important, from August to May in the growing season, a little bit every month makes a huge difference. And being able to apply trace elements over the foliage helps strengthen that natural break behind the fruit as well. So there's quite a few things to do. You, I'm hoping you will get a few fruit set because that makes a, a big difference. But just a tip, if you've grown a citrus tree and you want it to set fruit and do fantastic throughout, the, um, throughout its life, pull all the fruit off in the first two years because then you have a chance for the tree to grow, develop, get established and then you get some amazing fruit and it doesn't matter how many fruit you actually put on, um, allow to set for the tree. So Melissa, I hope that helps. We can have a look at it. But it's those extreme temperatures that can cause a tree, hot winds can cause a tree to drop its fruit. It's the first sign of, of stress, unfortunately. You know the best thing about citrus trees? There is always next year. You, you won't lose the tree, but you'll always have fruit next year and see if you can find a, a neighbour maybe with some lemons that they can share on an established tree. So from lemon trees, we are heading to um, ground covers. Roz has sent a message. Can you tell me if Spanish shore ground cover is toxic to dogs? I've been given confusing advice or could you suggest a safe for dogs ground cover to go between pavers. Yeah, I certainly can, there's quite a few. If you can put dichondra, that's a great one, between pavers, that will do really well. But one, one uh, website you need to put in your um, favourites is the New South Wales RSPCA has a fantastic website that has toxicity, plants toxicity to animals and dogs. And so it's a wonderful resource that you can use and it's very extensive, has all the varieties of um, plants there and all the species of plants and often the, the allergies or the reactions that plants have, that animals have to those plants. So always keep that in your favour, it's a great one to have the garden. But what we do when we're talking about poisonous plants um, and animals, there's many that we have in our garden that, that we would just take for granted. But daffodils even, if you've got a dog that eats daffodils, that's one comes to mind that is toxic to, to animals and toxic to dogs. So check out the New South Wales RSPCA PCA website, but look for ground covers. Even another one called Daimondia. If you've got an area that's hot and dry, Daimondia margarita is a fantastic low-growing ground cover. It goes brilliantly between paving, fantastic for crazy paving. And I actually read a report yesterday that crazy paving is back. This is the new look for next year and having a little bit of crazy paving around of stone pavers and having a few plants growing in between is um, the key. That's the new look for next year. So maybe over your summer break you can look at changing an area and put a bit of crazy paving down because growing a few plants will really soften those pavers and it keeps the area nice and cool. Let's head from pavers to edibles from Peter. Is it safe to use bore water on edibles? 
Certainly is, no problem at all. It actually depends on the, the salt level of your ball. And I always recommend to people, test their ball water or test your ball water at the beginning of spring and then always when it's at its worst. So get another test in about March. And if we do that, we know we're getting a variation after summer. Sometimes the quality of the bore water does deteriorate. So we get a variation in our water quality. If we get it at the beginning of spring, we've got water quality that's fantastic. Hopefully you live in an area where you've got rain and the groundwater has been replenished. But if you get to summer and it's at the end, it always gives you a range. Often the salt levels increase and much of our bore water in, in many areas of Australia, there's a lot of salt in the bore water and we end up with all sorts of problems. So depending on what plants you would like to grow, you can use bore water on edible crops, no problem at all. Some plants are more susceptible to the salts or dissolved chlorides. So some of the nutrients that are in the water aren't available or they end up with a chemical reaction and tie up other nutrients in plants. So without getting too technical, if you can get your water tested, it will tell you the salt levels that you will then be able to get the tolerances of plants that you can grow. So more than happy to add a comment to tell us what level, what sort of quality your bore water is and you can use it no problem at all. Even recycled water can be used on edibles as long as it's not, depending on, on your local health department and um, water rules, you can use it on edible plants, but as long as it's not exposed, as long as it makes its way to the water, it's covered in mulch and it's not sitting, um, a great way to be able to use grey water on fruit trees, particularly citrus trees and stone fruit trees, and make use of that water. I think it's a subject that we are getting better at and better at recycling water for our gardens, that's for sure. Now, Stephen from Perth's North, I have an indoor planter box that I would like to put some colourful indoor plants in. Could you please advise me on what I should buy? Stephen, I have some fantastic indoor plants that you could plant in there. And top of my mind, almost impossible to kill is the anthurium or flamingo flower that has brilliant waxy flowers. I know of a one of my radio listeners who's had a plant growing for 28 years. So they've long lived and keep flowering beautifully. So there's Anthurium small talk or there's giant varieties around gorgeous dark green foliage with red or pink or white, sometimes very pale, soft pink flowers and then look for some foliage colour. So some of the foliages and crotons are just amazing as far as foliage goes. but. If you want a plant, you've never grown indoor plants before, you are one of our beginner gardeners joining us today. One of my favourites is, of course, the syngoniums. Now, these come in pink, light green, dark green foliage and variegated foliage, and they are almost impossible to kill. If you go away for three or four weeks, you've given them water before you go away, you'll come back to still plants looking absolutely amazing and doing fantastic. Keep your comments coming. We would love to be able to answer questions from all around the country. Our climates are so variable in Australia, so there's lots of questions. And of course, it keeps us at the Garden Gurus on our toes, delivering information that you can all relate to, depending, doesn't matter where you live in Australia. Don't forget, you also, if you add a comment, you have a chance to one, win one of those five packets of Mr. Fothergill seeds, add some colour or some, some edibles to your garden. We have a question from South Australia. Evelyn from Coonaplin. I was wondering, our peacherine tree has gone from lush green leaves full of beautiful fruit to the fruit shriveling up and leaves getting yellow veins through them. Depends actually what's causing that. Have you had extreme temperatures that can cause a problem? Was there a lot of peach leaf curl? Peacherines are susceptible to peach leaf curl and that's a fungal problem that will cause crunching of leaves and also affecting the fruit. We can check that and see by crinkling leaves. What's the water conditions? Is the water very alkaline? That can cause the tie-up of nutrients in the, in the soil and also has it been fed lately? So have a dig around the root system, Evelyn, and see has it had salt water added to the, um, we talked about bore water just before. So is there salt water, is the water quality less than ideal, that can cause a problem. If everything else is right and the tree is done really well and looking fantastic, has it had some fertiliser 
that's been a bit too much. Maybe keep listening because Greg will be able to tell us how much fertiliser we can put on our fruit trees at this time of the year and what nutrients we need to get those trees looking absolutely fantastic. I always say if we don't know what the problem is and I can't ask any more questions, just head out, have a look around the root system and we start from the soil up. Gardening is all about soil and if we can improve the soil and get the soil right, the plants, of course, are going to make a huge difference. They almost grow by themselves then. So words of advice, maybe tell us what's happening with your fruit trees. Have you had a successful peacherine crop? They're just beautiful. They really are um, a gorgeous fruit and easy to grow in the backyard. Now we have a comment from Leah. Can't wait. I'm learning so much. I am a new gardener. Leah, thank you so much. If you've got a question about anything, don't forget to add them to your comment section because at the end of the day, we'll give you a um, chance. We have a chance at the end of our Garden Grooves Live to win one of those packets of seeds, that's for sure. We are now joined by Rowan Peterson from Garden Express, who's a marketing manager. Now, this is the, the offer, I would say, that um, you have to be part of. What special offer is it today? Morning, Sue. How are you? Yeah, very well. Good to talk to you, Ron. I'm so excited about this one. It's great time. This is a good one. Um, yep. So this is uh, a, a gift that I guess is millions of years in the making. It's the wool of my pine. Um, I don't know if people are, are familiar with the wool of my pine. It's been in the uh, in the news and and uh, on the tips of our tongues uh, since earlier this year with the bushfires. Um, it was it was found uh, in 1994 by David Noble uh, in the Woolamai State Forest or Woolamai National Forest, sorry, um, which is part of the Blue Mountains, uh, about 200 k's out of Sydney, um, thought to be extinct. Uh, last known fossil uh, uh, was 90 million years ago. So thought to be extinct. And in 1994, uh, uh, David stumbled across it in the in the forest. Uh, and ever since then, you know, it's been going great guns. Um, so we've got a really, really great offer uh, on the Willamai. So you can own your own piece of history, basically. Uh, we've got a 100 mil pot, um, uh, Willamai potted, uh, plant. So it's a pot like that, pot like that, Rowan. Yeah. That's it. That looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they're, they're in really good shape. You've got some yeah. really nice new new growth. Um, so this is what you'll get. Um, but not only this, we also have a bonus uh, pack to go along with it because it's in a, a hundred mil pot. It will need to be repotted. Okay. Uh, so we so we've also put together a nice bonus pack, uh, which will include a, um, a cocoa earth premium uh, coir palette. Uh, along with some sea salt uh, to to help with the stress of replanting, uh, and and a book uh, which will explain all about how it was found, the history of the Wollamai, which is a really fascinating read. It is a good story. Yeah, it's uh, it's well worth it. So you get that as well, uh, including some uh, some knee pads, uh, gardeners advantage knee pads, um, and that will all get bundled up and delivered directly to your door. So normally that's worth uh, just under one hundred and forty dollars, uh, but we've got a thirty percent saving on it for Garden Gurus uh, viewers, uh, and it will only be ninety six dollars. Ninety six dollars—that's fantastic value. Now I've just had a note up on my screen to say it is live now, so you can get onto the order now, and it is live. So the Wollamai Pine Gift Pack—fantastic value. Those plants look really good, and it's a story I think, Rowan, that's really um, probably. Well, we feel a bit special in Australia that we've got this living fossil, fossil, but we've got a Christmas tree that will last for a long time. We almost feel part of it. It's, we're part of the history in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it really is the equivalent of finding a live dinosaur. Um, so, so it's really quite exciting that that's uh, being found here in Australia. And easy uh, to grow. Do we need to? We need to know that most areas of Australia. This tree has survived ice age. It survived, um, you know, extreme and it's extreme. It survived the bushfire this year. Yeah, absolutely. So it will it will survive from sort of minus five degrees Celsius up up until you know forty five degrees. So it's really really versatile. It's probably a, a nice little icon for this year. Um, you know, with everybody going through what we've all gone through, um, that that a tree like this can survive for so long. Um, it's it's pretty easy to grow. I mean, it's 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 as we've just discussed, survived for a long, long time. Um, Got to watch with the watering, but it does come with a you know a really comprehensive care guide um, and a certificate of authentic, uh, authenticity. Uh, 
Uh, I know what so you mean. Don't worry, we know what you mean. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And I think great idea for those people who live on a balcony. It's a plant that will grow on a balcony because you know it's not going to grow too fast. It's not going to get to a 200-metre yeah. tree overnight, so you can keep it in a pot for a long time. It'll grow It'll grow um, quite contently in a pot for up to 15 years yeah. um, before it gets to sort of the size where it really should be in the ground. And if you pop it straight into the ground, it'll grow anywhere from 10 to 15 metres, but you know, as you said, it's quite a slow grower. I think every gardener, every beginner gardener knows that. I've got a daughter who I think will absolutely love it. So I think I need to get onto that website very soon too. Rowan Peterson, thank you so much for your time today. Fantastic offer in time for Christmas. All delivered with the wall of my pine, the fertiliser, the sea sole, the knee pads, everything, and the book. It's a fantastic read. All for just $96 in plus delivery, it valued at... Well, it's valued at nearly $140, so you save 30%. Fantastic. Get onto it now so you get it delivered in time before Christmas. So you're going to be busy this afternoon, Rowan. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for your time. It's always yeah. great to talk to you. Yeah, all the best. Merry Christmas and take care. And we look forward to you selling out of Wallamai Pines and all those living dinosaurs actually finding a new home. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made wolf garden tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. Use the code GURUS for free shipping on orders over $30. Offer ends 31st of October. It's a fantastic plant. If you haven't heard about the wall on my pine, it's a great gift. Check it out because they are something that, and the foliage is so hard and leathery, dark green, and it will be a living Christmas tree. Have you got a living Christmas tree growing in your backyard or in a pot? Great idea. Do give us some comments. We would love to hear it and maybe share the living question, living Christmas tree love around the place. We always have an ongoing issue of what we're going to use for a living Christmas tree every year. I've used everything from a lily pilly to a Norfolk Island pine to a silver birch. So tell us what you've used as a living Christmas tree. Now let's head to a few questions. We're heading to Perth. Is now an okay, from Donna, is now an okay time to dig up and relocate a garden to put reticulation down or irrigation for our Eastern States listeners and then good soil to replant them. The plants are Agapanthus, Berenia, Chinese tallow and daisies and they are all around a metre in size. Donna, if you have to do it, do it. But you're either, you're just at the shoulder season, either we do it in June is the best time. So you can think about it as either you're too early or too late. So June is the time to do it. If you've, you can transplant agapanthus any time of the year. You can pull agapanthus out of the ground, you can drive over them with a bulldozer and they'll still put them back in the ground and they'll still survive. But the other plants, not so much. Chinese tallow is one deciduous tree that doesn't transplant brilliantly at all. It does tend to die back. Daisies, you can grow cuttings, put them in water and they'll send out cuttings and send out roots and you can grow new ones of those. But the Chinese tallow won't do fantastically or the brenia or the snow bush won't transplant brilliantly. So if you are going to dig up a garden and relocate it, always winter time. There's some plants that will be able to do it in winter and you'll find that the plants will be knocked back. We've got still got three or four months in, in of summer. We really haven't had a summer in Perth yet and we will be finding that you'll be battling that all the time. So get your reticulation down or your irrigation down, no problem at all in that garden bed. But if you have to relocate it, always look for winter when the plants are dormant. Chinese tallow is not so brilliant in um, transplanting as advanced ones at all. They will die back, but they will shoot away again. Two, two deciduous trees that don't bear root and transplant very well at all. The other one is the liquid amber. So bear that in mind. If you've got a liquid amber that you need to transplant, um, you do tend to get a little bit of dieback with those as well. Now, don't forget to include your suburb and your state with your question. That makes a little bit of difference so I know what sort of temperatures or what sort of um, environment you've got. We'd appreciate that very much and hopefully it allows us to get through a lot more questions this morning. We're heading to... Ah, we're heading to Shaz. Not sure where you are, Shaz, but can you put used tea leaves on lemon trees to help add acidity? You can use used tea leaves on anything. I don't know if it adds acidity, but it definitely adds organic matter. And if you can have the organic matter to the soil, 
makes a huge difference. God, well, do you remember mum or grandma? My grandma used to always empty the teapot on the succulent out the back and that actually was the healthiest succulent in the whole garden. It got a little bit of water every day, a little bit of organic matter, and um, it didn't look back. So tea leaves, definitely recycle them. They'll make a huge difference to your garden. So on anything, doesn't matter. It's not gonna hurt anything at all. I have a question from Julie. Can you please suggest plants that will grow near Mary trees? That's a fantastic question, Julie, and one that many people who have got an established garden worry about all the time because we've got competition of tree roots and established trees. The reason gums do so well is and respond in their environment or the harsh environment is that they have these, this ability to develop fine feeder roots so quickly, even at the most minimal amount of water or the rain we have. And so they just get into nutrients wherever there's water. The competition from advanced tree roots is always tricky. So the trick is, is to either grow plants in bowls. So lift them up off the ground and you grow plants in bowls. You add a lot of, um, Things like some of our some of our bushy um, grass-like varieties of plants that will grow naturally with Mary trees. So you look at the natural environment and think, okay, Leshenoltia will grow there, kangaroo paws, dinella, some of those lamandra, some of the ground covering ground covers are fantastic. So it's always dig a big hole and get the plant established as quickly as possible so then it can cope with that competition because sooner if you give those new plants a little bit of extra moisture definitely those merry tree roots will be into it straight away and always a big question when we're growing um, growing gardens always a balance where we grow gardens we want the trees definitely and we just have to work out a way how to get the new plants in once we've established and anyone who's been in the same garden for 20 years you'll definitely see a changing environment because a lot of the plants that were in the sun as the trees grow turn into being shade loving plants so it opens up so many opportunities to grow different plants under the garden have a cool shady garden that's definitely what I would rather and it's an absolutely fantastic link in um, to to our well our our special guest this morning is associate Professor Joe Hurley, who's the RMIT lead researcher on where will all the trees be. Good morning, Joe. Morning. Yeah, well, it's actually so uh, afternoon, I think, where you are. This is a fantastic research. Just gone afternoon. Yeah, exactly. Well, Friday afternoon is a good spot to be, isn't it? Talking about trees, one of your favourite subjects. Indeed. So tell us about this research, oh, you want because the research was um, commissioned by RMIT asking, in our suburbs, are we doing enough to plant trees, but where will all the trees be in the future? Yes, yeah, so this research, it's the third study that has been done um, over the last, what's well, about eight or nine years. The first one was done in 2013. And we're looking at tracking tree cover. And the reason we're doing this, um, as many of your listeners will know, is that trees and vegetation is vital infrastructure in our cities. It helps cool our cities. Uh, it brings biodiversity. It brings joy and well-being to us in our cities. So we need it. It's essential infrastructure. But there's a lot of other things going on in our cities, a lot of challenges. We talk about that, and I know there's big changes in different cities, and we talk about the importance of trees, but as gardeners, I think we get very disillusioned when we just see another development going up and another established tree disappearing. Is it, there's this, there's this um, disparity between what actually we believe in, but what's actually happening, or are we building green cover? Well, actually, the report shows that on the whole, we're losing green cover, and, and that's why we need to track it over time. We need to see whether it's going up or down. And development pressure is, is a, one of the drivers that sees us lose tree cover, canopy cover. So we need to monitor both development and tree canopy cover to see what's going on and so that we can respond appropriately. It's not that we shouldn't develop our cities, but we need to develop tree canopy cover as well along with that development. So tree cover is important. Do you think it's become more important over the last year with 2020 being so unusual? It has, you know, I think certainly people are much more aware of their local uh, environment, their local natural environment, uh, particularly where I'm in Melbourne when we're in such, such a, a long lockdown. Everyone was out every day for their hour enjoying the, the street, the street trees, the parks, the linear parks, 
Uh, and so, yeah, really important to provide livability in our cities. Yeah, the livability is important. We Our Facebook Live uh, is live across the country and you've actually done studies all across the country to see where the change in tree cover is. And, and what are the effects of this? Well, the effects are that it starts reducing the beneficial um, impacts that canopy cover and vegetation has. It reduces that cooling effect in our heat waves. It reduces the support for biodiversity and it reduces the health and well-being effects that we get from a, a vibrant, vegetated urban landscape. So have we got enough voice as gardeners, as absolute people who, as neighbourhoods, to be able to say, no, we want to keep those trees, you're going to have to change the planning? The more voices, the better. Cities are complex places. There's a lot of competition for land and, and for uses, uh, and that won't go away. So what we need is strong voices saying and recognising the importance of trees on both public and private land and making sure that we have the policy and the programs and the investment to protect that resource and to grow it literally uh, into the future to provide all those benefits. And who are the standout? We've got to give the people who have made the difference and those city councils the accolades because they really need to be put up there on a pedestal to say, let's follow the lead by example. Yeah, sure. So you can get onto the website. I think you're going to pop it into the leak. Uh, greener spaces, better places. You can put in your postcode, find your local government area all around the country and see how you're, you're faring. In um, Perth, where you guys are broadcasting for, I know you're going national, uh, but we signal that um, Quinana is, you know, really doing a fantastic job, even though they're growing significantly in terms of their population. They're managing off a very low base to get significant tree cover into the ground. The inner areas of Perth as well, Perth and South Perth are doing well. Uh, if we look other places around the country, we can see some of the um, outer suburbs in, in Melbourne with, with little rainfall, places like Greater Dandenong and Whittlesea are doing really well. That's but there's a lot, that have, a lot that have a fair bit of work to do. Uh, and it's not because oh. they're not trying hard. There's a lot of you know challenges that they've got to overcome. And I'm just actually interested to read, and I think this is probably the standout that I've taken out over the next decade, 88 out of the 131 urban places across Australia will face moderate, moderate to high challenges as far as green cover goes. That's huge. It is huge and that, that's because we are losing canopy. We're seeing canopy being lost for a whole variety of reasons. We've got increasing challenges with, with climate and climate impacts and we've got ongoing urban development. That development um, really puts pressure on our vegetation. So this is not something that we can just set and forget. It needs active engagement, uh, protection, support from communities uh, and action from government. Brings new meaning to chaining ourselves to the trees. What are the top three things we can do, Joe, today? Our takeaway messages to say as a gardener or as a neighbourhood, as, a, as um, a local passionate tree lover, what can we do today to make the difference? Great, great question. All right, on the spot, I'll go. Number one, yeah. about 50% of all vegetation tree canopy is provided by private land in cities. And that has a huge public benefit. So look after your trees, plant trees where you can, a healthy tree on your lot to help your life, uh, but also the community around you. That's number one. Number two, the street verge. And there's some great work being done in Perth, actually, South Australia as well, in the city of Unley, Use that space creatively to create gardens, to create more vegetation where possible. Uh, sometimes there's conflict with other infrastructure, but many local councils are now ready to support you in reusing that space. And then number three, advocate for protection and enhancement of trees in your local community. Political will is really important here if we're going to get good policy to get the balance right between urban development and hard infrastructure and the all-important trees and urban vegetation. Yeah, that is so important. Where will all the trees be? Hopefully in your backyard if you're listening. Do add a comment if you've got a favourite tree or you're growing something that hasn't been grown before. You've managed to save a tree. We would love to hear what's happening. And remember, you can type in your suburb, can't your top your postcode, is that right, Joe? Um, to greener yep, so places, better places? That's right. Type, type in your postcode, it will come up with your local government area, and then you can get a report on your local government area on how it's faring. Yeah, fantastic. Joe Hurley, thank you very much for your time. The research is from RMIT Associate Professor Joe Hurley 
who's a lead researcher, where will all the trees be? I hope this is going to be one of um, many reports and almost guilting people into planting more trees, increasing biodiversity, because the more information we can get out there, Joe, the better and the more, the better it does for our trees and also for our uh, our whole ecosystem, it makes a difference and also less cooling um, needed, artificial cooling needed. Enjoy your day. Thank you, Sue. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Greener places, better spaces. No, greener spaces. Get it right, Sue. Need new glasses. Um, greener spaces, better places. au. Type in your postcode. What's happening in your suburb? Um, really interesting information. I know in my area, lots of things are happening. And the threat of bushfire has caused a problem with lots of trees. And balancing that is a, um, a, a, a discussion we are going to have for the future. So greener spaces, better places. That's it. I'll get it right. .com.au. Love to see what's happening there. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Now let's move on to something that uh, always inspires me. What's our plan of the week this morning or the today? Our plan of the week is actually one of, whoops, one of the kangaroo paws. Now this is Anigazanthus flavidus, one of the cultivars. These are fantastic. The flowers keep producing at this time of the year, the yellow, the red, and the orange varieties, very different cultivars, but this is a tall one that grows up to about 1.2 meters. If you have lived in an area where it's hot and dry, kangaroo paws, the honey eaters love it. We're talking about increasing biodiversity. These are really good for growing under trees as well. They clump up, you can divide them, you can grow them beautifully in a hot sunny position and they thrive at this time of the year. And I must say, I'm a little partial to yellow at this time of the year. It looks absolutely fantastic. It almost glows in the dark and the honey eaters are very happy. These will keep flowering for months. So the new ones are coming through now. And if you get to the point that these fade, they look a little bit, bit yellow, they've lost their colour, you know, say straw colour, you just cut them off at ground level. And if you've got foliage not looking fantastic, you can just cut that off at ground level as well. So the Anigazanthus, the summer flowering varieties, strong, hardy growers and look brilliant. And they also do really well in a pot. So if you've got a large container, you'd like to grow something to add some colour to the garden at this time of the year. A great Christmas present. Someone to plant a kangaroo paw in the garden, not only gives a Christmas present for yourself, but it also will give a Christmas present, or the person you're giving it to, I should say, it'll give a Christmas present to the local bird population. The honey eaters absolutely love it. And I'm going to sneak in another one. I hope that's okay, uh, because this is looking so gorgeous next to the kangaroo paw, is one of the Grevillea Sprite. This has been around for a few years. A large shrub. If you're in an area that this, this particular variety will take heavier soil as well as sandy soil, but it is stunning and it's almost never without a flower. Have a look for it at your local garden centre. I think you'll be impressed. Grevillea Fire Sprite and it's an easy one to grow, but the honey eaters will like you for that one too. So two plants of the week this morning. The Anigazanthus yellow kangaroo paw, or you can have an orange or a red, very many different cultivars of those and Grevillea Fire Sprite, two beautiful plants that are easy to grow, don't need much water, and perfect summer flowering. Gardening's not all about spring. Gardening's about adding colour at different times of the year, and if you can look at a garden centre or visit a garden centre at different times of the year, check out what's flowering, or have a look in at gardens at different times of the year, then you'll have a garden that will sustain uh, flowers and also the environment all year round and it will look fantastic all year round. So maybe that's a challenge for this year or for next year. Look at a garden for a whole year rather than just spring flowers. Now we've got lots of questions happening. Don't forget, bring your questions and your comments because you have a chance to win five packets, one of five packets of seeds. We've got lots of seeds to give away. We're going to head to Sydney this morning. Can you keep a cotyledon succulent inside? or is it best outside? Does it lower leaves falling off? So the lower leaves, definitely, if it's in a very low position or dark position, they will fall off, but they'll go inside for about three, three weeks, probably maximum, and then outside. So it's actually better to have 
um, succulents outside and bring them in for an indoor floral display or a structure or if you want to put a pot looking gorgeous if you've got visitors. But essentially succulents do better outside if you can put them outside. Inside they tend to rot, tend to drop their older leaves and tend to get a little bit. They lose their colour actually because we don't give them that natural bright light. So outside best in premium potting mix, controlled release fertiliser is all you have to do with succulents and water every now and again. They like being on the drier side so you'll be able to, um, they don't need very much water at all. So if you're a gardener who tends to forget to garden or tends to forget to water every now and again and just gets busy, well succulents are the plants for you, that's for sure. Now let's head to Launceston in Tasmania, one of my favourite parts of the country at this time of the year. I like to feed my first year citrus with chook manure and fish emulsion, but how often should I feed them? Well, the chook manure, if it's composted, is going to be a soil improver. And the fish emulsion, if you put over the foliage, will be absorbed by the foliage as well. Depends if it's been fortified. So over the foliage every couple of weeks is a mild solution and what's left in the watering can around the root system. And the citrus, if they're young, um, compost around them, make sure there's no chook manure up against the root system. But you'll find as that compost down, you would do that at the beginning of every season and that will deliver the nutrients that you need, particularly because you're in a cooler climate than um, some of the warmer areas. So as the beautiful moisture breaks that down and feeds the soil, the worms and all the microbes will get into the soil and really improve that. So it's like putting compost on your plant at the beginning of every season. So that'll be just amazing after um, a few weeks, a few, a few years, I should say. Now you've got quite high nitrogen fertilizers there. Keep listening because we're talking to Greg Neighbor who will be able to tell us the importance of the other nutrients that are needed. Um, rather than just nitrogen, we do need a balance of nutrients and citrus in particular need trace elements and other balance of nutrients. So keep listening, Tristan. We'll be able to help you with feeding your citrus trees right through the year. From Tasmania to Manila in New South Wales, from Jody, do I need to fertilize my flowering water lilies now? And what do I use? Actually, great question um, about flowering water lilies and what do we feed? If we feed them with a quick release fertilizer, there is aquatic fertilizer, controlled release, that's exactly what we need. Because if we feed them with a quick release fertilizer and put fertilizer, we'll end up with an algal bloom. We'll end up with too, too much nutrients in the soil, particularly if you've got fish there and you'll end up with a out of balance pond. So aquatic fertilizer, or if you repot them, you can add a tiny bit of cow manure with sand when you're repotting and that will add some nutrients to the soil. So you don't actually need to, but there are fertilizers for aquatic plants available as a very mild controlled release fertilizer. So head to your water plant specialist nursery and they will be able to um, help you for sure. Now from Maria, what are my Floribunda roses all dry and crinkly around the edges? Oh, that's not good. Uh, you'll find the Floribunda roses dry and crinkly around the edges. If they've had water or foliage, um, water hit the foliage, that's salty. That could be a problem. If they've had sunburn and they're not getting enough water, that can be a problem. Drying crinkly around the edges sometimes can be sunburn too, Maria. And if you've got sunburn on those um, plants, you'll end up with a problem um, with the with the um, the foliage in a way. So did you have an extreme temperature one really hot day? That can be a problem. But check out the quality of your water. That would make a difference as well. And just on the screen, which I missed, I think a question about mildew on tomatoes. Ah, oh, I need new glasses, definitely. I've said that more than once this morning. Um, I'm getting black mildew on my tomatoes. How should I manage this? As long as there's needs to be, so the black mildew is a after effect of mildew, powdery mildew, and you find the blackening on the stems can be a problem, a symptom of what's happening. So we need to control the mildew to start with. There's a few ways we can do that, Joanne. One is using a tomato dust that's got sulfur already in it. Tomato, complete tomato dust will also have an insecticide in it for tomato grubs or dusting sulfur. Dusting sulfur is one of the best ways or easiest ways, one of the safest ways you can use 
you can um, put your um, tomatoes at rest. So you, get, you don't have mildew. Cool climate, cool situation, lack of air movement will help um, add to the problem with, with mildew. So lots of open environment in an area where they are getting lots of wind that will help stop the mildew hanging around. But if you're living in an area where you've had very mild, cool temperatures, um, the mildew will just keep growing. And potassium, potassium is the nutrient you need to thicken the cell wall, build up the plant's resistance to disease and less chance of mildew causing a problem on tomatoes. So if you can add that um, when, you, when you're planting, also as they're growing, that will make a huge difference. And I'm sure Greg Neighbour can help us with that, who's a technical director from Evergreen Garden Care. And our topics, of course, today, what a great link, Greg. Um, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. Good evening, good afternoon, I should say. Greg, how are you? Well, see yourself, good to see you again. Yeah, lovely to chat to you. It's so important to get those nutrients right to help uh, build up plants' resistance to disease, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. If you get uh, um, a good balanced fertiliser that's supplying all, you know, the, the, the plant's nutrient needs, then you've got a healthy plant and a healthy plant will absolutely resist disease incursion, insect incursion, etc., and give you a good, uh, good fruit. Yeah, well, that's what we're ultimately growing our tomatoes for. But the, the nutrients I wanted to talk to you about today, it, we've had a few questions on fertilising. Uh, a summer feeding, what can we do with the garden? And the three highlighted ones, nitrous, phosphorus and potassium. And what they do or how important they are to the plant's growth and also to fruiting. Yeah, so, um, you know, basically from a, from a plant's perspective overall, it's just three things that it, it needs. It needs water, air in the root zone and nutrients. And the nutrients that, uh, there's 16 basic nutrients that a plant needs. And we generally, for a complete uh, plant food, we would be adding 14 of those. So, um, you know, a complete fertiliser uh, will have basically your primaries, which are your nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. So they're, they're in larger quantities. The plant needs them in larger quantities. We have secondary nutrients, which are calcium, sulphur, magnesium. They're in somewhat smaller quantities. And then the trace elements, which are little little uh, traces of, of those elements a plant needs. So some plants, um, you've been talking about citrus, um, citrus uh, particularly, you know, iron and magnesium, calcium uh, are all particularly required above the normal requirements for, for a plant. So there's, you've been uh, showing kangaroo paws and some other Australian natives and gorillas, a lot of those are phosphorus sensitive. So you would want to be putting lower amounts of phosphorus on those plants and there's specialist fertilizers to achieve that. So for our beginner listeners, beginner viewers today, uh, can you just explain what nitro, what our macronutrients do? So nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium and why they are so important? Without them, the plant can't, uh, can't grow and photosynthesize and, and be healthy. So. Nitrogen is, is contributing primarily to, to foliage growth. So if you're putting high nitrogen on, you'll see blood break, you'll see uh, a lot of biomass or, or, or leaves being put on the plant. Um, phosphorus is uh, uh, particularly used in, in the plant in, in the photosynthetic process and uh, particular uh, processes within the plant. Um, and with phosphorus, we, we put it on at fairly high amounts, but the plant only needs and can only get from the soil small amounts. Uh, the potassium you've alluded to, potassium is uh, primarily used in, in, in the structure of a plant, in the cell structure, um, and it's all also very specifically used in uh, controlling the opening and closing of cells underneath the leaf called stomata, where the plant exchanges water and air with the environment. So if you've got a hot environment, it's important to have reasonable potassium availability to allow the plant to be, uh, let's say, close those stomata down and stop it from um, losing too much water. Makes a huge difference. Now we've got a couple of listener questions or viewer questions, I should say. 
What's from Carlene? What's the best fertilizer to use on hibiscus? Mine are looking a bit sad. Carlene, you're going to get the information straight from the technical director of Evergreen Garden Care. Greg's been in fertilizers for probably 30 years, Greg. Not too long. Don't say. Carlene's hibiscus are looking a bit sad. What do they need at this time of the year? Um, hibiscus at the moment, uh, nitrogen is your key. Um, feed it with some, some nitrogen fertiliser. Hibiscus are prone to uh, iron and magnesium deficiency. So between the veins of the leaf, you might see that the veins are a little green, but between the leaves are yellowing. So uh, some magnesium and iron and nitrogen at this point for hibiscus. Give them a good water. Yeah, water it in. They're in their active growth phase at the moment, aren't they? That's for sure. Getting ready to send their flowers out. So they really need, we think they're hardy and they are hardy, but just a little bit of extra um, feed and nutrients makes a huge difference. Another question, and it's about natives. Many people are worried about uh, feeding natives, but this happens often. Lovely Lady Gravilius from Lisa. Yellow leaves, any suggestions apart from a slow-release fertiliser? Some show up iron deficiency easily, don't they? Um, iron deficiency, well, uh, phosphorus toxicity and iron deficiency are interlinked. Phosphorus mm. and iron interact as, as, as chemicals in the soil, as elements in the soil, and they tie each other up. So um, if for a, a yellowing uh, native, if it's in a pot, put it in the shade. Don't give it full sun. Uh, it'll lower its photosynthetic rate and it'll use less iron uh, or need less iron to stay green. So put it in the shade as one. Two, uh, manures in general, organic fertilisers uh, as manures are not particularly good. They're high in phosphorus and they're not going to do the job for you. You need basically just nitrogen, potassium and iron for your natives. Nitrogen, potassium and iron. So controlled release fertiliser formulations, particularly for grevilleas, is the answer. We talk about controlled release fertilisers, but what are the different types of fertiliser broadly that we can use and apply? So on the shelf, the, the consumer will see uh, a range of uh, fertiliser products from what we call conventional or agricultural fertilisers, which are usually a, a mixture of nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium uh, granules that are mixed together. Um, there, some of the available as, as citrus special, etc. These are very fast-releasing products. They dissolve quickly. Um, they uh, have a potential if you over over apply to burn the plant. So you need to be very careful to to use those at the label rate only. We then have water soluble or liquid fertilizers like Miracle Grow, uh, where we're putting them in a watering can at the label rate and then applying them every two weeks or so, and that's a complete feed for the plant. We then have what are called slow-release fertilisers, which are different to controlled-release fertilisers. So slow-release are normally on lawn, uh, like Lawn Builder is a slow-release uh, fertiliser, and they slowly dissolve over time. So they'll give you something uh, in the order of an 8 to 12-week feed, what the um, conventional fertilisers mentioned earlier will give you about a two to three week feed. So it's a longer and slower feed. And then your controlled release like Osmico, where we've got a barrier around the fertiliser and that barrier prevents it, the fertiliser from dissolving and the coating then releases the fertiliser to the environment slowly. And they can, the, the, the Osmico has a 12 to 14 month formulation. So for 12 months, you get continuous slow feeding and therefore no losses to the environment. It, uh, the plant gets uh, basically 100% of what you're adding. Yeah, that seems like best value for your money, doesn't it? Controlled release fertilisers are really the future of fertilising and um, makes a huge difference. The technology has come such a long way uh, when it comes to fertilisers and we just don't want to overdo it. We need to Focus on our soil, focus on feeding, and just it's a balance, isn't it? Getting the fertiliser and the soil right. It's all right. about balancing. Greg, thank you so much. So good to talk to you again. Greg Neighbour from Evergreen Garden Care. What he doesn't know about fertilisers is definitely not worth it. Greg, I look forward to catching up with you next time. Merry Christmas. Sir. Yeah, take care. Merry Christmas. I can't believe that I'm saying that. <laughs>
I noticed your point, Zedia. It's fantastic. I love it. I did notice that. Um, definitely. Everyone needs a point, Zedia. Definitely. Greg, take care. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. If you'd like more information, head to your local garden centre actually. They always have so much information on what fertilisers to use at different times. And we've just had a query from Angela actually. What do you do when you're a pensioner and can't afford all the fertiliser for mulching and tools outside but you're trying to keep your gardens looking good? The key is composting. Adding and working on your soil and getting the compost right. So recycling everything that was once living in your garden. If you can focus on that and focus on your soil, that actually makes a huge difference. Your plants are nice and strong and healthy. So you don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to spend it. You just need your money in time, if that makes sense. Add, add long clippings that are composted. Add any of your veggie scraps to your garden because if you're going to get those microbes working in your garden for you, They'll do all the hard work and you're just adding organic matter. Focus on the soil rather than the plants. That makes a huge difference. And that's the tip definitely for this week's on improving. Keep your comments coming. We've got lots of queries and maybe we've got time for another few uh, questions. Don't forget to add your suburb and your state and um, to it because that makes a huge difference to help us at the Garden Gurus Live so we can answer your question. Sue from Bob of Mount Lawley, I have planted one Hass avocado tree. Is it true that it's best to plant two avocado trees to ensure pollination? Is it best to have one tree of each type A and B? Can they be separated across suburban blocks or do they have to be together? Don't have to be together. As long as they are within a range that the prevailing winds don't miss them. So if you've got them planted and then you get southerly winds and you've got one planted in the west and the east and the southerly winds are always relentless, that can be a problem. But if you can plant, you can plant two in one hole too, Bob, no problem at all. But it is best to plant two avocado trees together and having a type A and type B definitely will make a difference for you. So either a Ferti will go with a Hass avocado and that will help with a cross-pollination because a type A and type B, the flowers open at different times of the day to help the cross-pollination definitely makes a difference. So yes, it is true. It's not just the garden center trying to sell you another tree. If you can plant another tree, you'll definitely increase the, um, the chances of having fruit. Hass are semi-fertile on their own. So you will get a certain amount of fruit with a Hass avocado on their own. But if you want more, plant another variety. And avocados are one tree that you can plant or you can graft lots of different varieties on one tree. So if you know anyone who's good at grafting or you know of different varieties around, you can beg, borrow and steal some scion material and be able to grow a few different trees or graft a few different varieties onto a tree that's growing really well. As has um, Michelle of Kalgoorlie Boulder in WA, she's got a stone fruit salad tree. So that's a different, a different thing altogether, but it's many different varieties of stone fruit, depending on what, what's been grafted onto it grafted onto one rootstock. Fruit was doing very well, then it went all mushy and rotted on the tree. What did I do wrong? If it went mushy and rotted on the tree, it actually sounds like it's had bacterial rot, probably something that you haven't done wrong, but it's um, a rot that causes, it just, it's a brown rot that you'll get a gray mold, you'll get a soft spot, and then it will happen overnight. So a fungicide, so Mancozeb plus fungicide as the fruit, is developing is really the only thing that we can do to control that. Brown rot's been really bad and it is really bad in those areas where we have a very mild or humid spring because as the fruit's developing, if you've had cool weather, that can cause a problem as well. So keep an eye on it. This year, we do need to get rid of all that fruit 
and then um, discard it because the spores, if it drops on the ground, the spores splash and then they spread for the rest of the, for the next season as well. They don't disappear once. So harvest all the fruit and discard it. That's going to make the difference to stop it spreading in the garden um, to any other stone fruit trees as well. From B, what's the difference between sea sole and sea sole power feed, which should be used where? Great question. Lots of people um, have a have a um, confusion with this one. Sea sole on its own is a soil conditioner and a plant. Um, it builds up the plant's resistance to disease, helps hold water around the plant's roots, but it thickens the cell walls of the plants and will also increase the root system, the root hairs and the root structure of a plant. It also assists because the plant is much healthier and stronger assists in the uptake of fertilizer. Seasol power feed is made by Seasol, but it's a fer liquid fertilizer. So this has got beautiful comp plant composts and organic composts and fulvic acids and things in it. So, but it's also been fortified with nutrients and it's absorbed quickly by the plant. So that's more of a fertilizer and a feed and Seasol is a soil conditioner. So they go together and they'll work very well together because they assist in the uptake of fertilizer, the seesaw will, and strengthen the plant, build its plant's resistance to disease. It's also fantastic. Seesaw's are really good if you have a heat wave that's been forecast, put it over the foliage of the plants about a week before if you can, you'll find that the plants will be able to fare. Anything that's had seesaw on it fare better with hot weather than something than a plant that hasn't been um, been treated with sea salt. So if you can actually use both, all the better. Your plants are much healthier and um, all the better and grow really strong and healthy. And you can't, well, you can have one without the other, but I many, many, I often have people say, I'll put sea salt on it, but if there's no nutrients in the soil, we need the plant, the plant needs to get the nutrients from somewhere, whether it's compost or whether it's um, worm castings or something that you've put a fertilizer there, you'll be able to be more efficient with the amount of fertilizer that's on the soil, in the soil. And the plants will be stronger and healthier, dark green, less chance of black spot, just less chance of mildew on your roses. There's quite a bit of black spot around, I know in Western Australia, but in those areas where we've had a very mild spring, definitely there's black spot around. Now, Michelle says, thank you. Going now, now to pick up the rotted fruit. Thanks, Michelle. It's not a very nice job, I know, but it's definitely worth it and it will stop the brown rot causing a problem for next year. Keng from Perth, first time growing Phalaenopsis orchid. Would like to know what to do next after it finishes flowering. So exciting, Phalaenopsis orchids are such good value. Everyone needs a Phalaenopsis orchid for the Christmas table because they just keep flowering and flowering. So Ken, if the, if the flowering stalk is just there, you can chop the flower stalk off. After that last flower has dropped, Chop that flower stalk off and you'll find it will shoot away and it'll side shoots and you'll end up with more flowers developing. So keep feeding it as you normally would do and keep it watered, don't let it dry out. But if you find that that flowering stalk has started to dry out or you don't want that flower stalk to come back, if you chop it off early enough, you will have a new flower shoot coming through almost immediately. And then you can get the new flowers to come through. The, uh, the interesting thing with Phalaenopsis is they need a cool, short burst to get them to flower again. So you'll get a, um, if you can initiate or put it next to a window where it's cool, um, that's what initiates the, the next lot of flowers coming through and the repeat flowering. So enjoy them, they are brilliant. A little bit of controlled release fertilizer for orchid plants and they'll keep going. If you don't want that multi-branched flower store, which I've had often, they sort of send out shoots and get secondary flowering, always just cut it off straight away and get more flowers. But I can know, speaking from experience, they cope so well in all conditions and do really well. And I think one of the best value um, living flowering gifts you can get because they keep flowering for, for months. They do really well. And from Perth to Sydney, we're talking Phalaenopsis orchids to grevilleas. With the grevillea flower of the week, we have one about four metres by four metres. It's beautiful and birds love it. But when should I prune it? It's actually tricky. Joanne, this is grevillea for the people who might have missed earlier. Grevillea fire sprite. So good to hear that it's doing so well. You can trim it now. 
Joanne, no problem at all, but you will lose some of the flowers. But if you trim two or three of the main branches back, let them shoot away. Some of the other main branches are still on the plant. They will shoot away. So just do it in stages and you can trim it back by a metre. If it's four metres by four metres, trimming back a third of the plant or a little bit less than a third of the plant, um, it will just thrive and keep going. So good to hear that yours is doing well. Have a look at it at your local garden centre, Grevillea Fire Sprite. It is, there's many Grevilleas, I must say, they are one of my absolute favourites. And as Joanne says, the birds absolutely love them. And while we're talking about birds and summer, one little tip you can do at this time of the year is to ensure the birds have got dishes of water at different levels in your garden. And if you can keep those birds in your backyard, you'll find you'll have less chance of insects around, less spiders around, less aphids and scale insects around the garden. It's one little thing you can do to keep the bird population happy at the moment. And if you like lizards around as well, um, lizards eat snails, they love snails. So if you can put sources of water at ground level, that definitely helps those, those that fauna that will be working for you all over summer, keeps them nice and cool. Oh, what a jammed pack, jammed pack hour. Thank you so much for joining us. That's fantastic. I just absolutely love it. That's it for today's episode of the Garden Gurus Live. Our five winners of the Mr. Fothergill seed packets today are Angela, Evelyn from South Australia, Joanne from Sydney, Tristan from Tasmania, and Jodie from New South Wales. I'll get our team, our gorgeous Garden Gurus live team to be able to post them up today for you and get them sent out. So keep an eye out for those in the mail. The Garden Gurus Spring Series continues this weekend. Look out for it. Check your local TV guide because depending where you live in the country, it is on a different time. So check that out. I've just absolutely had a delight being part of the Spring Series this year. And I know as everyone's part of it, there's lots of awesome gardening information to keep any gardener, whether you're a beginner gardener or an advanced gardener or an armchair gardener and just like looking at the, at the background uh, to be inspired this weekend. So it's just a little bit of inspiration for your backyard and we all just absolutely love being part of it. And also you can listen back to today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast and Podbean. So you'll be able to get back this information, lots of information given out today. How many trees are in your backyard? I think you maybe need to go, we all need to go and adopt a tree and have a louder voice to keep a tree um, nice and healthy and also there for the future in our backyard. But even if you haven't got a tree, might be time to plant one. And maybe we could start with that Christmas gift offer from Garden Express, the Wallamai Pine. That's classified as a tree and that's definitely a tree for the future. Enjoy your day. Thank you very much for joining me on the Garden Gurus Live. I always have a ball. I appreciate your time. I hope you've been inspired to add to your backyard, your balcony, your courtyard, anything to make our, green, our world much greener. Thank you. The Garden Gurus is back on your screens this weekend. Tune into 9 and 9HD this Saturday at 4.30pm across all states. And if you'd like to catch up on the previous episode, tune into Nine Life this Saturday at 5 p.m. When in doubt, make sure you check your local TV guide.